What's up, everyone? It's Jason Burris with Burris Law Life and Friends. Hope everybody's doing well. Today, I have a very special guest, Jeremy Rosenthal. Thank you very much. How are you doing? Man, I'm, I'm special. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> this, this is payback. It is. It is payback. You want to explain to the audience how this is payback? This is, pay, this is retribution, and it's payback because I uh, have a podcast that I'm sure nobody knows about it either or based on I don't know pretty much I, I've got a podcast and I made Jason uh, I, I kind of beat you down into coming on to my podcast which is the lawyer show which you can catch on Facebook live between noon and one on Facebook live and uh, and I made you come on and we just we're just lawyers and we just talk about things uh, we, we we have it, the, the concept is water cooler talk uh, that everybody can enjoy that lawyers partake in Yes. Just so that everybody knows, Jeremy Rosenthal is the leader of one of the best criminal law firms in North Texas. Criminal law, criminal law defense. All right. That's right. North Texas. That's right. What do you mean one of the, is there, is there somebody else I don't know about that's up there? I don't think so. Has Perry Mason come back? I mean, I don't know. If he was, if he was, we'd, he'd, he'd, I know where he'd be working. Yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, why would he want to compete? <laughs> no, no, he couldn't take it. No, he couldn't. He definitely couldn't take it. Um, but seriously, you are, um, you've been doing it longer than I have. You come from the best law school in Texas, a little school called SMU. Pony up. Yep, SMU Law. And you were the class of 2000. Indeed, uh, indeed. Yeah, and I have the, I have the, the student student debt to 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 show that to back that up still no 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 Forever. I had it I had it but yeah even back then even back then it was pretty pricey yeah it was yeah. pretty pricey like three times as expensive now as when we went I was two years behind you uh, that's what you're that's what you said I have every reason to believe that that's true um, but yeah I mean the uh, if you want to get into debt fast uh, they'll let you it's a tough thing what made you decide to go to law school. Man, I've always—I don't know. Uh, you're we're getting getting into uh, very deep issues very fast <laughs> here on the on the Burris podcast. Um, we can start out with favorite colors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's a great question, and I've asked myself this too. But I'll tell you what—I just—I'm extremely competitive, as I think. And, and that's a common denominator amongst, I think, everybody or most folks that are in law school. There are some that I, I, there's some in law school that I'm like, why are you even here? You know, you, you, but, but they're good lawyers and they're book lawyers and they do transactional work and they make deals and mergers happen. They're just very quiet about it. Um, I'll tell you what, I don't know. I just, the, the, I, uh, the, the thought of injustice, and I don't want to get too lofty on my, on my perch. We'll do that later. Um, I just, the thought of injustice makes me sick. And the thought of, um, in, in, in criminal law and in criminal defense, the government is such a big and just asymmetrical giant. And it's, it, there's so many analogies you can make, but it's, it, there is such a recipe for injustice that's built into it, that's baked into it. That um, that it, it it can really be sickening when it goes in the wrong direction, and when it goes in the wrong direction, it is it can be very hard to stop. 
And I want to say that some of the feelings that I feel when I hear what clients are telling me when I'm, when I'm either doing a consultation or I'm in the middle of a trial, I hear my high school principal who's, who's, who's griping at me. I hear, <clears throat> excuse me, I hear uh, 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 the coach who's, who's chewing me out unnecessarily. I, I hear authority figures that have got, who are going in the wrong direction. And, and the weight of it is so, is so immense that you really need, folks really need somebody that, that has an inferiority complex and loves to fight. And I, that's kind of how I've always felt. Um, I knew I didn't like blood, so I couldn't do that. I couldn't go to any kind of medical school. Um, so, and I or was a fight hit, for a living or, or fight for a living. Good. Yes. Good point. I mean, the, 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 the Lord has cursed me in this, in this, this body, in this frame to a life of practicing law. It's a tough one. I'm, I'm doing my best. Anyway, so you asked a question, and I, I don't know if I answered it or not. Not really. We're talking about why you chose to go to law school. To, to be a lawyer, to, to fight, to fight for folks, to help people. Did anyone in your family, were they lawyers? No, first one. Okay, same here. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. It was tough for me because I, I can remember I lived on... Uh, lake Cypress Springs. I was mm-hmm. the only one on the lake. I mean, I had a waterfront home. It's the only one on the w- lake that didn't have a boat. So it was kind of my star. I was 22. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's just got to get better than this. Like it's, I was living in a little bitty town. It was Mount Vernon. And, um, you know, it was, it was just tough. It was a tough start. Um, my grandfather was very sick when I graduated from uh, college. So I did not have the opportunity to do the interview process that everybody else did. Mm-hmm. So I spent a couple of months with him. And then, um, you know, anyway, eventually a friend called and said, Hey, my boss is hiring. You should come to Mount Vernon. So I did. And it, but it was a kind of a one horse town. And, um, I immediately started research. The internet was mm-hmm. very new at that, at that point, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, this is 90, Five ninety six. Very new. Yeah. And it was, and so I was researching it to try to figure out what, you know, how do I improve my situation? And it was like, do you do the MBA or do you go to law school? And it seemed like at that time, if you started working on your MBA with a crappy job, you might just end up in debt with your MBA <laughs> and coming out with a crappy job. And in law, it seemed like if you get your law degree, you'll come out with a pretty good job. That's actually why I chose. I could lie and say mm-hmm. I wanted to change the world, which it sounds like you did, but I, I was looking at it more from an economic perspective. Well, uh, you always hear growing, well, you always hear when you're in law school and you always hear um, stories about people who, well, you're going to be rich or you're going to go and lawyers make a ton of money. And some do. Um, I would say that there's, uh, I, I would say, I, I, I haven't seen any studies in a while. I don't know that lawyers on the economic chain are quite as powerful by and large as people think. Speak um, for yourself. That right? Now again, you do it right and it can be it can be very it can be pretty <laughs> lucrative, but not everybody is a partner at a big uh, big tall building law firm downtown Dallas pulling in whatever those folks do. There's a lot of government jobs. There's a lot of lawyers who make 30, 40, 50 70, 80,000 dollars a year, which is going to be commensurate, I think, with a lot of other a lot of other incomes. 
But uh, to, to, to your point, um, it, it's interesting that you say that to me because I know you're from Paris, right? Parisian. Better than parasite. Better than being a, <laughs> be, better than being a parasite. Do not call me a parasite. No, no, no <laughs> parasites. So, so being from Paris and then Mount Vernon, also East Texas, I know some lawyers who are from out there, and it and it's just it, it's very fascinating to me for the reason that um, a lot of them, a, a really good friend of mine who's a criminal defense lawyer, uh, he's for, actually from Missouri practices uh, mainly in Sherman. And and he just says, you know, when they're talking about this, when the prosecutors are at their conferences and they're laughing and they're slapping their knees and they're talking about this one defendant and this one guy who did this and this one guy did that, that's my Uncle Joe that they're talking about. That's my neighbor that they're talking about. That's these that's that's a lot of folks who don't necessarily have a lot of means uh, economically. And, and so they're, uh, and, and they do need, an advocate. And that's kind of what he sort of thought of. And that's why he does criminal defenses, because he feels very strongly that that those folks need a voice too. And so um, I don't know. I, I, I've always, don't get me wrong. I mean, when people come to me with a lot of money, I don't say no, typically. Depends on the case. But I don't typically turn that away. I mean, nobody's, the fact that the money is not repugnant. But you've got to have something um I think you have to have something in your belly to be a lawyer. And I know you do too, because again, I mean, you would not have the competitive juices, right? When you get to law school and and there are a lot of aggressive, very aggressive, <laughs> just dorky folks who are in the front row and they're highlighting everything, right? Yeah. And you don't get that way. You don't get to be that gunner by just kind of being a wallflower, and there's nothing wrong with being a wallflower. I know plenty, and and it's great. My dad's a wallflower. Love him. He's my dad. Um, just not for him. Yeah. So point blank question: Did you enter SMU knowing for sure that you wanted to be a criminal defense lawyer? No. No. Did you enter law school thinking you want to be a prosecutor solely? No. Right. No. Uh, in fact, um, one of the things that I love about SMU is it's got a very strong alumni network and it's got a lot of it's got a lot of folks in the community who want to contribute. One of the bad things, I think I got a lot of uh I think I got I, I think one of the negative things about SMU law is they kind of get it in your head that if you're not in the transactional division or the employment division at pick a place, right? Aiken Gump or Gardier Wynn that somehow what you do doesn't matter on a day-to-day basis. Totally agree with you. And 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 it took me a while to get that out of my head. It was like it was Haynes and Boone, yeah, or, or Vin, Vincent Elkins or Bust. It's kind of what it felt and, like. And these these firms come and they buy you lunch, right? Two times a week, right? And in, in right. Library North or Library South, right? They buy you lunch two times a week to recruit, and and they're getting their people. They're getting their top guns that they want to get. Wasn't me? Um, maybe you. I don't. I don't know how you're your grades were, but, uh, that sure wasn't me, but, but at any rate, yeah, it, 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 it really distorted. I think, um, it, it somewhat distorted my view of what it means to help people and, and helping people and making money is not mutually exclusive. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, I think we're in a small club and that, I mean, we're in the, we lead law firms, the ultimate decisions rest with us. And though we don't 
do this very often, maybe mm-hmm. occasionally, but um, I feel like I could call you at any point in time and say, I'm leading my law firm. Here's the issue. Here's what I'm thinking. What What do you think? I mean, I think it's a pretty mm-hmm. powerful position when you are so responsible for making payroll for a whole bunch of people. Mm-hmm. And a whole bunch of people. It's 15 for us. I don't know how many it is for you, but... That seems like a whole bunch of people to me in the, in that neighborhood. Yeah, it absolutely is. And um, we've we've exchanged business related ideas. You know, your your practice is worlds different than mine. Just the economics of it, um, the, the the practice side of it. But yeah, th- there's a lot of common denominators there. And uh, yeah, I mean, and, and ultimately, the decisions that you make affect the ability of people to provide for their families. I mean, you're, you're a small business owner. That's what you are. Um, small to medium sized business owner. Um, so, so I, I mean, uh, and I, I hope that anything I've given you in the past has been helpful. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, and I, I know I've asked you for, for thoughts and advice too, uh, over, over time. And so I know that, that when you say things and, and you, you know, the way you kind of do things makes me kind of think, you know, yeah, you might have something there, you know, that might be, a, that might be a way to do it. Where do you think your firm is going in terms of number of employees, you know, size of the team, mm-hmm. um, whether you're going to stick to, I know you do criminal law and mm-hmm. just a little bit of family, but where, where's the ultimate, what's the ultimate goal? Okay. So criminal defense as a, as a practice model is it's, it's kind of difficult to to understand. So, so your typical criminal practitioner is a solo practitioner, maybe has one law partner, not a lot of infrastructure, right? No, maybe they have an assistant. Maybe there's a paralegal there. Maybe there's somebody to answer the phones there. Um, and so, that's that. That's your typical. That that's what works for most. People and and it's and and sort of people's expectations too. When people hire a criminal lawyer, they want you, right? They don't want a firm. Okay, if I'm if I have uh, contracts that need to be negotiated, if I have a dispute between whatever, right? Let's say um, a, a real estate dispute or an employment dispute. I mean, I, I you know Ray Murphy over at uh, Abernathy. I've uh, you know he's a fellow who I've who I've utilized before and they've got a team there. And does it matter to me who's reviewing the contracts over there? Eh, not particularly. I, I trust that it's all getting done right. When somebody gets charged and arrested for an offense, they want you, period. They want you. And so so having one lawyer or one or two lawyers, uh, that's that's a very powerful that, that that that's typically the structure. Now what we've done at our at our office is we have six and the vast, vast, vast majority of what we do, 95% of what we do, probably more, is criminal work and criminal defense. And the way that we've structured that, we do it in a way to comport with the client's expectations, to comport with the best needs of the client, and to give the lawyers the best infrastructure and the best the best chance that they have to land the client, to, to get the business that they're looking for, and to serve the client. And so... Um, so I don't know, though, the, 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 the issue that we run into, unlike Abernathy, for example, or Haynes and Boone, which is of how many lawyers they have, I don't know. I, I mean, nationwide in the thousands, I'm sure. 
Um, one of the things w- with us uh, about our structure is that I, I don't know that we can get so big. I, I think that our business model mm-hmm. looks like a seven lawyer law firm here. And man, it has always been my goal to take our practice statewide um, to, to have six lawyers in McKinney, to have six lawyers, five lawyers in a place like Georgetown to have five or six lawyers in a place like Katy, um, to where to, to to places that are very similar. That's how I see if our firm is going to grow. That's how I see it growing, and I see that as a way to maximize our service to the client. And I see that as a way to bring our the lawyers who work with us um, very real value and very real return on their time and their investment uh, because professionally they want to achieve things too. And again, just so we're clear. It's different when you're doing criminal law, family law, and personal injury. If you're in any one of those subspecialties and you have five or six attorneys, you're automatically going to be one of the largest in the whole county. Yeah. And you guys are. Well, the state bar says you have to prove it to us. And and we're we're like, how do you prove a negative? We can't go out and (laughs) we're not going to go out and take an inventory of ever all the everybody else here. You said so anyway, but yeah, that's right. Uh, and, and, and so it's a bit of an atypical structure. Um, and we've seen copycatting, which is extremely flattering to us. Um, there are other groups out there that are trying to trying to mimic what we do. Um, but again, um, and also uh, I, the, the lawyers that work with us to a person um, are outstanding um, in their own capacities. We encourage all of our lawyers to handle a different part of criminal law so they can distinguish themselves from the rest of the firm. Um, we have a lawyer, one of our lawyers, Kyle Terrian. Um, Kyle's been working with us for 10 years now. Um, we got him, he was an intern with the DA's office and, and we brought him on afterwards. And, uh, and Kyle writes the case law update for the entire state for the Texas Criminal Defense Lawyers Association. And so he is uh, not only for the people in our office, but for people statewide uh, he he fields calls from all over the state about appellate issues in specific counties and specific cases. And so that's an area where he's distinguished himself. Uh, Bo Calibus is another one of our lawyers. Uh, I've known Bo since high school. Bo handles professional liability because a lot of times what happens is somebody comes in with a DWI, for example. If they're a pilot, that's a career ender. and Or if they're a doctor or a nurse, they're going to have to go answer to the board, to the medical board, uh, down in Austin, and Bo can do that. So, so we try to we we try to branch out and cover everything we can uh, within the criminal aspect. Okay, and just to reset, we're talking to Jeremy Rosenthal, um, criminal defense attorney, leader of one of the largest uh, criminal defense firms in North Texas, and the current name of the firm because I know we had a recent change. What's the current? Some recent changes, plural. Mm-hmm. We are Rosenthal Calabastarian. Okay. And you're located in McKinney. We're in McKinney. Eldorado. That's right. What's the website? Uh, www.texasdefensefirm.com. What's the phone number? 972-369-0577. And we're talking about uh, first DWIs all the way to capital murder, I'm assuming. All the way. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, and, and post-conviction, we, we, uh, we handle cases where folks say... Um, I committed a crime or I think they think I committed a crime and I'm worried about the police contacting me or 
The police have contacted me. We do that all the way to the Texas Supreme Court or the Court of Criminal Appeals. So we do it all, everything in between. And we do federal as well. True or false? Oh, let's have it. <laughs> Losing occasionally mm-hmm. creates far more misery than the joy of winning. Losing occasionally creates more joy. Misery. Misery. Than the joy of winning. Than the joy of of winning. Okay, so I yeah, I, I I mean you know this, we've 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 talked. I hate losing. I just hate it. Um and and it goes back to the inferiority complex, right? Just and just so we're clear, when you say we've talked, we have not talked about this No, not specifically. Visit. No. We have talked in general, but I've never talked to anybody about the questions. No, what we're you doing. have not. This okay. is this is true. This is yes. This is sixty minutes type stuff. You know, we're not going to show you. We're, you're, you're not going to get to approve of the questions that we it, ask you. Yeah, and just and, and and just for the audience, it is really important to me. I do not want to go over questions, answers, anything like that. The only thing I do is just ask: Is there anything we can't talk about? So I do that. Do you want to know my than, answers to that one? Nope. <laughs> but okay. But I really want to know, though, I mean, losing versus winning. I mean, when I lose, I feel like little Jeremy on the playground and the coach who said, no, you're not good enough for the team. That's how I feel. And when I when I win, it's good for about an hour. Um, and it's great. I, I, I like it, it. But man, I just hate losing. I read a book by Bobby Knight. Great book. Eh, it's a good enough book. It's called The Power of Negative Thinking. Okay. And, and Bobby's whole theory was that, you know, you, you've got to shore up your, he, and, and he, he says he hates losing. He says, he says that, that, that winning is great and winning the national championship. That's all wonderful stuff, but he just, I mean, it's a means to an end because he just doesn't want to be angry at the planet for seven months at a time after a bad season. And, and so, but, uh, you know, so, so losing just really, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why I, it, it, it's so I'm, I'm, I'm competitive by nature. Um, and, and I think it's a blessing in many ways. I, when I was an assistant district attorney, when I was a prosecutor, um, and I, I what they do is they, and this is, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say that this was, that I was a, I was a prosecutor back when prosecute, you know, I don't want to say that, um, but there was a lot more trials. And in when I was a misdemeanor prosecutor in Collin County, we tried at least one case a week, sometimes two and sometimes three. There's a really good friend of mine uh, who is a, he's a judge now. He actually tried four at one time. And these are, uh, these are real trials that matter to real folks. Who is this? What's that? Who is this? Can I say his name is Bill Peterson? He's a justice oh. on the fifth court. Uh, he was the best man at my wedding, and uh, he was a, a fraternity brother with me at Tech. He went to Baylor. He's another one of the reasons why I'm, you know, why Baylor. I, I kind of have a chip on my shoulder <clears throat> about them. But, um, but anyway, if and Jason Jason knows this from from having come on my podcast because he got inundated with Baylor issues for a long time, and he's like, "But I went to SMU." But anyway, um, <laughs> fourth fourth best. Best ranked law school. In they're Texas, the fourth. They're, hey, they're number four. That's great. They teach. They teach the bar. Anyway, almost in the middle. I, I told you I wouldn't go off on Baylor today, but <clears> um, 
but anyway, uh, so we, so we were in trial all day, every day, um, just kind of being baby lawyers and, and it was extremely healthy for us. And I won at one point 16 or 17 in a row, which I mean, was really, I mean, and these are, these are DWIs without breath tests, without blood tests, where you're just like, look at the clouds and tell me what shape you see. That's what you're trying to argue to the jury. You're, you're putting in a videotape of VHS at the time, and you're trying to argue to the jury, this person is drunk. No, this person is sober. Very subjective stuff. And you learn the nitty gritty of advocacy. But I'll tell you the reason why I was able to, to have that kind of winning streak uh, the reason why I've fiddled with this so much that I'm I've probably broken it. Um, no, I got it. Is it, or maybe you, I don't. You should have more of your apple juice. More of my apple juice. If you have more of your apple juice, you'll get more comfortable. <laughs> the only reason uh, I was able to do it is I lost my first six in a row. Lost them all. And we're talking what about- What a loser. I, <laughs> aren't what I, a aren't loser. I, aren't I? But you know what? <laughs> it made me burn the midnight oil. It made me stay awake long enough. Uh, it made me, I mean. You lost it on the prosecution side? Or I was a prosecutor okay. and I lost. Wow. And oh yeah, this is in Collin County, USA, <laughs> where every juror is just waiting to convict yeah, somebody. Hard to lose things. It room. is. It is very hard to lose things here in Collin County as a prosecutor. Uh, but again, and so, but it, it, it it's that, that's what gets the right degree of that's where you find the recipe to find all right what works what doesn't work right and and so um but i think it's very healthy to lose i think i learn a lot more when i lose um than when i win when i when i win you know when when i go back and talk to the jury after a not guilty verdict today um i hear what i want right i i hear Oh, Jeremy, you're the best. Oh, Jeremy, you know, well, or they don't say things like that, but they use, and and you know this too, through trial advocacy. If you want to adopt some buzzwords through, through your trial that you want the jury to focus on, right? Um, If I, if I've got a trial and my theory is mutual combat, right? And, and I, I just say it a few times, well, this is a couple of guys fighting. This is a couple of guys fighting or a bar fight, a bar fight, a bar fight, Right when the jury comes back not guilty two, three, four days later, and I hear two or three jurors use that word, I know that's why. I know I won. I know that I got to them. But when I win a trial, that's all I hear, right? When I lose a trial, you're forced to sit there and hear what you don't want to hear. And that is extremely healthy, I think. So I don't feel like I got a, a an unequivocal answer Objection, to my question. non-responsive? Yep. Okay, let's check okay. the non Occasional losing, losing, occasional losing losing. creates more misery than the joy of winning. Any losing creates more misery. That's true. That's true. It's true. It's true. That's all I had to say. Yeah, that's all. Really, all you had to say. I would disagree with that. Okay, let's have it. Oh well, I just I for for me, and again, I've not lost nearly as much as you. rare for me to lose but um but to to me if i have lost a contest Uh um it's more about the the performance Mm -hmm. am i after certainly hearing what they say 
am I satisfied with the performance? Because some sometimes mm-hmm. jurors just do stupid things. Yeah. So they just do really stupid things. And you can't guard for that. You can't do anything about it. And so after you hear from everything, if you can even talk to them, are you, am I satisfied with the performance? Did I do everything that I could do as the facts were presented? Did I do everything I could do to win the contest? And if the answer is yes, and we still lost, I could still hold my head high. To me, it's, it's more about the performance mm-hmm. in trial. Um, I, I do get a lot of joy from winning. I really do. But if I ever felt like, like I, I, I had a hearing a couple of weeks ago and I got out of the hearing and I, I just didn't feel like it was the best hearing. I just didn't feel like it was the best performance. And it was, it was just a hearing. It wasn't a big deal. In fact, I was a guardian ad litem. That's all I was. But it still bothered me. I just didn't feel like it was my best pro. I, in fact, I came out of that hearing and I went straight to our lead paralegal, who's also our vice president of operations. I, and I told her immediately, I said, I was not happy with my own performance. It bothered me. It greatly bothered me. Mm-hmm. And I and I put in, um, you know, some changes. And it was we were in Bender's court, and Bender would never tell you that no, that was a bad performance. I, I know he wouldn't. But I mean, I felt like it was a bad performance. I just mm-hmm. felt like I didn't argue that as well as I as I should have. Um, and that bothers me. Oh my gosh, that bo- if I don't feel like I gave my best performance, that really bothers me. So, sometimes I will say this. I'm going to quit touching this thing. I've nervous. Already, I've already pr- nervous. No, I've already proven that I'm that on my podcast. I kind of trust I, in your apple juice. Kind of do that. Um, I think sometimes as lawyers too, we overestimate our own influence on the case. Um, in criminal law, I think you kind of have to accept that. I think you kind of have to accept that many of the situations that we inherit, many of the situations that I am arguing are in many, they're beyond repair. They just are. And we do the best with what we have. And victory in, in, in criminal defense looks different in, in any given capacity. It's always funny. People always ask me, well, what's your, what's your win loss rate? And I'm like, my answer to that, I do have an answer to that is like, well, last year I made the playoffs. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of like, what kind of an answer is that? I mean, sometimes a case comes in and it's a miracle to keep that person out of prison. Given- yeah. And just, just to reset. I yeah. Mean, it, it, when you're doing criminal defense, mm-hmm. especially in this county, I would probably say any county, but especially in this county, extremely conservative county, um, think of it more like being a Hall of Fame baseball player. I mean, if you're hitting three or 400, you're a Hall of Famer, correct? That's an analogy I give to folks. If I tell them you've got a 30% chance of winning this case, but if you hit 300, you would be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, But I will say this, um, and and this is, I don't know, this is not hometown cooking or whatever. My favorite place to practice law is Collin County, and I, I love it here, and I love practicing law here, and the reason why, and maybe it's because I'm like the jurors. 
the jurors here, I think, get it. Um, they're not mean. I think that they have, and, and, and we have an extraordinarily diverse county um, as well. We have an economically diverse county. Uh, we have a soci, uh, sociologically diverse county. Uh, county. We have a, a lot of different ingredients come in, but we, we have a lot of folks who have advanced education. We have a lot of engineers. You know, you get you get you you come and pick a jury, and you see all a lot of people with engineering. I love that because those are people who can who will follow a scientific argument. They are people who will follow a logical argument, and and I'm not there in trial unless I think I can win. I'm not there unless I think I've got some punch that I think I can throw that's going to knock the other guy out. Let me and, tell you, I don't so, want the engineers. They're bad for personal injury. <laughs> I don't want them, baby. Okay, tell me, tell me some stories. No, tell me, tell just, me why. I just your history teacher, your um, mechanical engineer. It's not good for personal injury. History I mean, teachers? No I, history. Well, your history teacher is also going to be a coach. Okay, and there's a problem. There's a, okay. There's a saying. George West. I, I don't know that you know knew George. George was a Dallas County prosecutor forever and ever. He told me when I was a prosecutor, he said, you never put anybody on your jury if their profession starts with the letter P. Mm. No psychologists, no psychiatrists, no pilots, no physicists, no pharmacists, no <laughs> police officers. We can keep going. It's amazing yeah. how many professions start with the letter P. And and you know what? And probably that's about as good as trial yeah. advice as I've ever gotten. Because I had, boy, I, I mean, there have been... I've had so many trials that have just gotten tied in knots with jurors and it's like, well, what's that guy? Everybody, you know, you don't, you don't realize that you get a crazy juror until five days into the trial, right? When they write a note that says, what is the debt? What is evidence? Well, not exactly because usually that, that same juror is doing this right here. Uh, <laughs> when you're, I mean, you can see there's tells, but, and for us, you know, yeah. we, I mean, we have represented 20, five or six McKinney police officers. Uh-huh. You know? But you're but you're those are the litigants. Yes, but but we have to almost to a person re-educate them on how to think. I mean this is not on my plan to talk about, but I mean, yeah, yes. They've got it in their head about what they're not there to do and you know, their, their mindset and you've got to sort of retrain them on here's what justice is, you know, let's talk do, about Do that. they think that they, it's their job to win the case for you? No, it's, it's um, man, I'm not here. Uh, I'm not here. Definitely not here to, to try to get a bunch of money for, you know, pain and suffering and that type of, I just want my medical bills paid. I mean, I've heard that a thousand times, right? It's like, okay, well, so if we do that and then we got the attorney's fees that are at, at, a, at a contingency percentage and then we got the case expenses, I'm just making sure you're good with being in the hole. In the hole? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean accent for effect, but you get it. I mean, it's, and once you start talking about, it, here's what Texas law allows and then, and then they're fine, you know, but, but that, there's just certain professions that are almost, you know. If I was not a criminal defense lawyer, I would be a personal injury lawyer. And and, and that is because I also, I mean, there's the, 
beating up on the government. You were a personal injury I was, lawyer. I was. Because I do wasn't you know for this, very long. Well, do you know the story? Have I ever told you this? In my business plan, which I could show you over an apple juice, you are in my business plan <laughs> as a competitor that I was going to stomp. Well, I, I'm not doing personal injury anymore, <laughs> injury anymore, so I'm going to say that you won. But you are in my, and I still have the, I have, I have five or six of them left, but you are in my business plan, my written business plan that I presented to the bank to get a oh, really? line oh. of credit. Yep. That I we didn't got know, into six You had told me the story before. You never told me that you presented this to the bank. Absolutely. Matt Duncan. Okay. At the time of Legacy Bank. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I, and that's, okay, so I've given this analogy before, too. Beating up the state of Texas is like punching the clown, right, that <laughs> think, comes back up and comes back up. You can hit that thing as hard as you want, and you can pummel that thing, and you can punish that thing as hard as you want. It's going to get back up fast with that same stupid grin on its face every time. It just will. And the second, and insurance companies are kind of a, a very close second to that. No doubt. Um so, so anyhow, uh, so that, 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 but again, it, it's always kind of that just sort of patronizing kind of injustice, um, that, that, that just sort of, that, that's, that's, that's sort of what stirs me. But, um, anyhow, yeah. So I want to, I want to switch gears. Yeah. W- one thing before we switch, I want to make sure I get an answer to this in, I've been evading you pretty well. So you far, have, but I'm, I'm coming back around. Okay. You're like I, a lawyer or something. <laughs> But I do want to know, in terms of the future, in terms of taking over the world, mm-hmm. at least taking over the state, when we come back 10 years later, how big is you, how many teammates are you going to have? Wow. Um, that's a great question. I, I, I would love to have, I, what I would like is I would like to have a practice that does three things. Number one, not answering the question. My headphones aren't working all of a sudden. <laughs> Number one is I want to maximize this. And this is all true. I want to, I, I want to, I, I love practicing law and I want to, I want other lawyers who are with me. <laughs> I'm going to object to the non, do I have to wait till you finish this? Uh, narrative to object to you the You want to hear my three no. things? How many teammates are you going to have in 10 years when we come back in the year 2031? As many as I can get my mitts on. Objection, non-response. How many teammates will you have? From attorneys all the way down to file clerks, how many will you have? 732. There. Now can I talk about my three things? That's not. That's not. That's not. I want to know. I want to know how many you're gonna have. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, come on. I, I don't know. Okay, so like we are, you don't have this whole thing planned out. I, I. I. I really. You know. I. I. I mean, there is a certain degree of making this up as you go along. Any lawyer. Any lawyer can like do work. Any lawyer can get ready. Any lawyer can research the law. It takes a special one. Show up. Pull it out of there. Rear end. That's magic. 20, 30, 40, 50. How many? 10 years from now. I don't know. I'd, I'd say a goal, if I was to set a goal, 
50. 50. 50. I don't know. 75. I, I would like to, I, I would like to, I, I do want to redefine what it means to practice criminal defense in this state. And I want to do it for the reason that I think that it's economically viable. I think it contributes to the satisfaction of the practitioners. And ultimately, and most importantly, I think that it benefits our criminal justice system and our clients. And I think that all, none of those things are mutually exclusive. And I think that we can do that in a way. Uh, now, now, but I'm not a, I'm not a, um, one thing I'm not is a riverboat gambler. So I'm not about to, um, well, no, this is not true. <laughs> I have embarked and I've failed before too in business type ventures. We've talked about that. I've uh, called and just, you know, you've, you're, you're, you're a good listener. Um, I've called and vented. Um, so, I, you know, I believe, and, and particularly in the, in the current economic climate, um, it's easy to let your eyes get bigger than your stomach. Yeah. Yeah. Castle Doctrine. I'm talking about the Castle Doctrine. Okay. All right. What is the Castle Doctrine? So the Castle Doctrine is uh, a self-defense doctrine that talks about when you can use deadly force. Okay. okay? So, uh, and I don't know if you want to, if you had a follow-up to that. Well, yes. I mean, okay. my buddies, I've got a, I've got a, I've got a good group of friends and they all like guns. Most carry. Um, and, you know, there was a case that, I mean, there's there's been a lot of cases, but mm-hmm. there was a case in Missouri. And if I can show this. Um, to the jury? Yeah, if I can show that, Exhibit A. Um, this Their name's the McCloskey's. And they're in Missouri. And, you know, about eight, nine months ago, uh, three, four hundred rioters, I mean, they were really rioters, and they they tore down their gate. They lived in a gated community. It was a special gate. It was an expensive gate. And the rioters um, broke. They tore down that gate, and they marched uh, forward. In fact, you can even, in this picture, you can see one. And they got right up to them, and they're yelling that they're going to kill them. They're yelling that they're going to kill their dog. They're yelling that they're going to burn their house down. They're yelling that they're going to be showering in that shower, and that they're going. To, I mean, they even went into their home, as I understand it. Um, I've not read the police report, but I'm just you know I, I watch the news. The this guy who's an attorney comes out, and he's got some sort of AR, AK, and um. He's not pointing it at him here, but apparently he, he he points it at him. And I don't know that they've been charged with a crime. I didn't hear that they were, but I did hear that the gun was confiscated or guns were confiscated mm-hmm. and that charges were um, being considered. So um, I, I don't know the Paul Harvey on the story, and I don't even know that the Paul Harvey's been written, but... Um, that got a lot of people talking, got a lot of my buddies talking, mm-hmm. and it feels like it feels like ten years ago or even five years ago, there would have been the slow clap for the McCloskeys. And now it feels like there's been some sort of influencer to almost 
change the ability to defend your home. So I'm just, I really want to get into what do you think best practices are? I mean, what? How would you okay. advise your your buddies who are gun toters? Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of how do they defend themselves or what have you? Okay, so let's putting our lawyer hats on here. And, and kind of solving this problem clinically and legally and, and breaking this thing down to its core elements. Here's what the law says, okay? So what happens is, let, let's take Texas this, law. Texas law. Even though these people are in Missouri, my father, as my father-in-law would say, Missouri, even though these people are not here, um, let's assume for argument's sake it was here. So what? Let, let's work the case backwards, right? What we have to do is we have to see what the criminal offense that they're being charged with is if any. Again, maybe they are, maybe they're not. Let's assume for argument's sake, they're charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. If he takes that AR-15, points it at a person, that's aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. Okay. It is uh, it is an assault because it is uh, a threat of imminent bodily uh, injury. And he's got a deadly weapon, which is uh, any mechanism, which by its use or intended use um, can cause uh serious bodily injury or death. So by definition, that is aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. That is the offense that they can allege there. Now, assault is a family of crimes. Um, The assault family, so to speak, goes all the way from capital murder to spitting on somebody, right? It's a result-based offense. And we judge an assault based on the result of it. There are several offshoots, aggravated assault by pointing a weapon being one of them where there's actually no physical contact, um, another kind of a weird legislative thing that they did several years ago is that there's a statute, believe it or not, that talks about impeding somebody's breath, choking, which is sort of result-based oriented, but sort of not because it's also more also kind of conduct related. And the result is injury, but it's kind of a different injury. Um, but let's take the let's take the base offense and then let's work backwards as if this is a as if we're going to go in front of a jury, right? So we, we always analyze a criminal case from the jury charge backwards. So when you've seen that Snickers commercial that says you're not going anywhere for a while, right? And the judge is reading those 8 million instructions. That's the jury instructions. That's the law. The judge is giving you that law. And as you and I know, um, and those of you in our audience today that are lawyers know, um, the judge is ruling on the law and he is expressing it in the jury charge. That's what that's what the jury is evaluating. So when we look at that jury charge, we have this offense. But then what we're arguing for, if I'm this guy's lawyer, what I'm arguing for is a, is a defense or an affirmative defense. And what I want the judge to instruct the jury is, okay, so maybe he did point the weapon at a person. But it is justified in this instance and the jury shall find him not guilty in this instance if one, two, three, four, five, six, seven are met. That's where the Castle Doctrine fits in. The Castle Doctrine makes their, it gives the defendant a presumption that his actions are reasonable if he is threatened with imminent bodily injury or death and if he is in his own home if he is in a car or she, or if he is at their place of business. And the law used to require, and actually, if anything, the, the, the statute has gotten a little tighter because the law used to require, uh, and th- this is all, all kind of law school stuff, which 
probably I, I slept through too. That in, that in future interests and, and secured transactions. But in in this instance, what uh, uh, what it says is that that there used to be a presumption. You, you had to show the jury that you tried to retreat. That used to be the law. In other words, if somebody comes into your home with a gun, you actually used to have the duty to try to get out of that situation before you killed somebody. Now the law allows you, the the law says you get this defense. If somebody comes in your home at night with a weapon to burglarize you. There's a differentiator if it's daytime versus nighttime. uh, There's some, you're, you're, see, now you're going to trip me up. I, I do think I, I do think that that's accurate. I know that that used to be accurate, and I do think that there's still provisions, and that may be isolated to whether or not it's a habitation. Um, but what happens too is that let's say somebody comes in to a home. We'll just say it's whatever. We won't specify a time, and that person is is armed, and that person commits an aggravated assault. That person points a gun at you at your house. That person is committing aggravated assault at that point. You have a, or let's say they're not, let's say they're just committing a burglary. At that point, you, the law allows you to defend yourself and use deadly force in defending yourself. And then the jury would be instructed in that instance that, okay, so what? Jason Burris aimed a weapon at John Doe who broke in his house. The jury all agrees that that meets the statutory definition of chapter 22.02 or whatever it is. But we shall find Jason Burris not guilty of the offense if we find that he was in his residence, if we find that the, that the other person um, was acting unlawfully, if we, if we find that, that, that Jason Burris had reason to believe that this other person was um, engaging in aggravated kidnapping even if they're not if you thought that and then you shoot this person you get that self-defense instruction and the law says it is presumed that Jason Burris was acting lawfully and where it's really where, where I think it's extent where I think the extensions are particularly relevant to to, to, to concealed carry holders or to or to CHL holders is the automobile is included in there. If you get carjacked, same thing. The law does you. You do not have a duty to try to get out of that situation first. So, so you are entitled to that presumption. And more importantly, and more realistically, and more practically, that allows your lawyer to hopefully get rid of the case before you even get that far, because a grand jury could release you on those grounds. They could issue a no bill on those grounds, and and so it really does. It, it gives you a lot more options, and my belief is, and again, your uh, my belief is the law used to require retreat, and it no longer does. So I think the law today, particularly in Texas, um, and, and in tech, you know, if anywhere on the planet, you've got weapon uh, weapon rights that favor the the the, the citizens. It's going to be in Texas. Now, I will say too that there are also provisions and, and DPS who monitors and, and who, who regulates the concealed carry statutes and, and, and the, and the, and the, the uh, any type of weapon statutes. 
I have seen instances where people do get arrested, even sometimes on misdemeanors, and administrati- and administratively, their licenses can get revoked just based on being charged. That part um, may be, and I don't know if that's why they took his weapon. I don't know if the state of Missouri looked at this or their department of, of their regulatory agency came in here and looked and said, well, no, he didn't. what he didn't do was criminal, but we think it's close enough anyway. And so they, they do an action to seize that. Um, that administrative battleground is a bit of a different story. I noticed you said inside the home, and there's a big difference between inside your mm-hmm. home and on your front lawn, which yeah. is where Mr. McCloskey mm-hmm. is. If you yes, if you look at this picture, so um, could by be by his seven car garage. Yeah, I mean you can't come out into your front yard. Well, you know, your legislature aren't perfect people. Um, If you've ever been down to Austin when they're debating bills, um, it's hard to really account for anything and everything. I would be very curious. Um, It's a great legal question and one that we can geek out on. And let's look at it this way. If this happens in Texas, and Uh again, no, no, you know, let's Mm -hmm. say just happened in Texas, you get the call. Mm -hmm. Are you worried about this case? Depends on how much money they pay me. <laughs> okay. I might not be worried at all. I mean, I may just be like, well, that sounds like a really bad problem for you. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Have you ever seen the movie Chicago? No. Oh, uh, well. I'm not a big movie. Not buff. a big singing and dancing. No, I hate it. There's a scene in there. So uh, there's a scene in there. Richard Gere is a criminal defense lawyer. And it's about a murder, right? Renee Zell- Zellweger kills somebody. Uh, and so... They want to hire him. And he says, look, I didn't ask you, and I, I'm going to butcher it. I didn't ask you if you were an orphan. I didn't ask you if what you did was justified. I didn't ask you if you were this, if you were that, if you were a battered spouse. I didn't ask you this. I didn't ask you that. I asked you if you had five grand. Anyway, assuming this guy paid me, what would I be worried about? It depends on what they charged him with. And it depends on what's really going on there. If he is hearing... If he is, if somebody points a weapon at him in Texas, he can use deadly force to defend himself. Deadly force being defined as pointing a weapon as another person. So they haven't pointed a weapon, but they are saying, we're going to kill you. We're going to mm-hmm. burn your home and we're going to kill your dog. Okay. Again, How do we feel about it? Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned because the way assault also works in Texas is it works by degrees. I cannot use deadly force to combat force. I'm not using force. He is using, if he's pointing a weapon at somebody, he's using deadly force. He's not using deadly force. Under the state of Texas, he is using or exhibiting a deadly weapon. He's just showing firepower. That's different than using deadly force. Using, I'm pulling. Go argue it. Go argue that to a jury. (laughs) Let me know what they do. All right, so but, you think it's a problem. You're a little bit worried about it. You feel better about it if it's a, if there's a very good retainer. For sure, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, for, for of course. Of course, but, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, okay. Let's move on. I, I can nerd out on this all day. I know, want. but let's move on. Yeah, okay. we're, we're, okay. in the, we're in the ninth inning. So I want to talk about what to, expert advice, mm-hmm. Jeremy Rosenthal, what to do when you're pulled over. Let me preface this conversation with uh, growing up in Paris, you know, as a white kid, 
knowing most of the officers in town, I, I never got a speech from my parents. Mm-hmm. Okay. I never did. And I just assumed when you get pulled over, what you do is you get out of the car, you walk back to the back of the car to meet the officer. You have a discussion about whatever the issue is. Um, and you get it resolved, whether you get a ticket or whatever. That's what I always did until, you know, probably 15 years ago. Um, they taught you to physically get out of your car before the officer approached your window. What I'm saying, my parents never told me be afraid, stay in your car, keep your hands on the wheel. I, I, it it was common sense for me. Mm -hmm. If I got pulled over, get out of the car. I just, I guess I was just thinking, you know, if you get out of the car and I'm not saying you jump out of the car and then you slowly get out of the car they can see your hands. They can see, you know, that you, you won't look threatening. Um, I, I have come to know that that is probably um, not the best. And I'm talking about broad daylight, but mm-hmm. that's probably not the best um, response. Okay, so I know that I've been accused at least, or it's been insinuated that I don't answer questions directly. On occasion, the question being posed to me is, "What do you do if you get pulled over, and how drunk is the individual?" Is well, that no, just not even not not necessarily even the specifics of mm-hmm. being intoxicated, but just what are best practices okay. when you get pulled over? Be yourself. Be polite. Uh, be be who you are. Stay in the car. Or get out of the car. St- I I I've always been told to stay in the car, and the vast majority of cases I see, the folks stay in the car. It's problematic when they get out. Um, I'm always very deliberate to have my hands where the officer can see them. Um, I will, if the officer's back there fiddling around before he gets to my car, not that I get pulled over a lot, but I get pulled over a lot. Um, <laughs> and, and so what I'll do, do is I will, but uh, if the officer's fiddling around and getting his paperwork ready or getting his clipboard ready or whatever, I'll, I, I might reach into my console and pull out my insurance. Um, be polite, be yourself. And, uh, and, and again, you know, that officer, it, it, you don't know who you're dealing with on that side, but they want to get home at their, at the end of their shift and they have a hard job to do. They deal with a lot of difficult people, uh, in, in, in many regards, they really do. And so what you don't want to do is you don't want to set that officer off. And, and what happens is police can, and, and if you want me, this is another rabbit trail and I won't go down here because then I won't be answering your question. Um, bottom of the ninth, bottom of the ninth. What's the score? No, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. <laughs> um, but, but anyway, uh, what you don't want to do police officers, if you never want to sleep at night, never read police psychology because what they go through on a daily basis pulls and stretches them in 8 million directions and it takes its toll. And, Police officers can go into what I call scumbag mode, which is you're a scumbag and there's nothing that you're going to tell me or say or do that's going to get me out of that. And I can see officers that go into scumbag mode like that. And I know that they've gone into scumbag mode because they go and they talk to the driver. They walk back to their car. They're radioing the tow truck, which means you're going, you're getting arrested for something. Okay. Usually a DWI. Then the police officer comes back and starts questioning more. But really, in that instance, you're in the spider webs. 
Most police officers don't want to do that, and the and the vast majority of stops are not anything related to that. But police will target teenagers. Um, I, I don't want to broaden the scope of, of the question unnecessarily, but police officers, they can and they will target certain individuals that they think are going to be problematic. If I have a client who has been out of prison and he has tattoos from head to toe, you're getting followed from one end of Plano to the other by the police. You just are. I mean, but you don't want to do anything that's going to make that officer think that there's something amiss. And the vast majority of times, if you're just Joe citizen, that's typically not going to be a problem from you. Um, I will say probably the better question and, and, and the question that I think we get more. I'll, I'll be the judge of that, but go ahead. What happens when you or your friend or a family member or a client's friend or family member gets a call from a police officer that says, we need to see your son, your daughter in our station in two hours? That's the better question. Um, that In that instance, you always need a lawyer. Um, police, a, a, a criminal case is like a ge- is like a geometric proof. Okay. If it's got an angle, like if it's got a one, two, three, four, five, if it's got an angle like this, an angle like that, a circle like that, then it is a whatever rhombus. Although I don't think there's any circles and rhombuses, but they're looking to establish the elements of the offense period. And chances are in many instances, they've already made up their mind. Not always but in many instances they have. And you can't worry about upsetting the police in that instance. You can't worry about hurting their feelings because if they think that you committed a crime and it's serious enough for them to call you in the station, um, that takes a, that takes a special touch that takes, that takes a lawyer going and calling the police and saying, Hey man, I got, I got Jim and his dad here and they're petrified. They don't know what's going on. Why do you want them in there? And then hopefully you get a straight answer. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to my my question for a second. Um, true or false? I mean, I believe that if you are of a particular race in general, you have more to worry about uh, than others. That's absolutely true. Um, you should... Should you keep your hands on the wheel when you're being stopped? Yes. Um, I think that goes for anybody, but yeah. Or should you, you know your driver's license in your billfold, your billfold is in your glove compartment, and you've got your insurance card in your, you know, passenger uh, glove department. Should you be searching for all these things to have it all ready when the co- when the officer gets to your window or should you wait for him to get there? I mean, these I are would, real questions. These are real questions. I would watch the police officer. If I was pulled over on the side of the road or if I was advising anybody in this situation, daytime, nighttime, regardless of race, you want to keep your eyes on the police officer. If that police officer is walking and making a beeline to you, don't have your hand somewhere where he can misunderstand what you're trying to do. Have your hands where, where they can see him, okay? His number one concern or her number one concern is their own personal safety, and justifiably so, right? They have a right to go home every night too. Um, 
talking about historically, I will say this, and here's another hoorah for, for SMU. Um, I am the proud co-author uh, with Dr. Michael Braun from the SMU uh, Cox School of Business uh, and Kyle Terrian at my office. And, and this, 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 this originated from an arrest that happened in Allen. There's a statute that's called organized retail theft. And what it says is organized retail theft is a higher charge. And you are guilty of organized retail theft if you possess stolen property. The problem with that is if I am mentally ill or if I just eat Cheetos all day and sit on the couch and I want to steal an Xbox, right? The minute I walk out of the store, whether I've stolen a pack of gum, whether I've stolen ladies' perfume, whether I've stolen an Xbox, I'm guilty of both. I'm guilty of both theft and I'm guilty of organized retail theft, which is a higher charge. Well, do you want to venture to guess statewide, statistically, who is two and a half times more likely to get arrested for that? Mm. It's obvious. So, the, and, 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 and so I don't know, so I don't want to make any, any of your, your, your viewers upset or mad, but historically, this has always been an issue. But again, none of that, the police officer has a right to feel safe, period. And there's really no excuse not to let them do that. I would always keep my eye on that police officer, and I would not make any movements that could be misinterpreted, or that he, they may see as threatening. If I know that if if they're back there in their own car and he's writing something down and his head's down, sure, put go, go to the glove box, get your insurance, get your license, get all that stuff ready for him or her. But, uh, but yeah, if they're right there at your window, no, that, that, that's probably a bit of a no-no. And mo- most officers are going to be pretty level-headed about that anyway. And I will say this. Many police agencies are doing a much better job of mental health intervention, mm-hmm. of recognizing those situations, of getting the appropriate folks on the scene um, when, when, they're, when these types of situations are happening so we can avoid situations like the Sandra Bland situation in South Texas. And so they've, they've, they have taken the cues that, that they've seen over the last 18 months. And so it's a hard profession and it's a hard profession to improve upon. And if for nothing else, I, I have a high degree of respect for their professionalism and the work that they do to, to make it better. There's a lot of psychological trappings and under trappings and underpinnings that they get caught in from a day-to-day basis, which, and, and I know I'm, way in left field. And you asked me a question about, I forgot what, but I'm just talking at this point. Um, the main, another main reason why we see what we see with a lot of the social unrest with George Floyd, for example, the, the officer who's on trial now, the cameraman has changed. The police used to not have cameras at all. I tried DWIs when I was a junior prosecutor without any cameras at all. And that was impossible for the defense to, to, to really do anything about because you would have a police officer say, oh, that guy was drunk. He was falling down everywhere. Then we would have cases where they would have cameras and, and, and cameras on their car. And you had a much better idea, but the police officer still in control of turning that off and on. Um, but they would know when they would, it, you would see some officers who would move them off, off the tape and they would get really, you know, their, 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 their supervisors would, they weren't happy with that. They're like, that's not transparent. Now they have body cameras and we see everything. And not only do we see that, we see people with their cell phones. 
So we, we are getting just a clear vision for the first time of how these interactions happen. Mm. Um, there's an author by the name of Malcolm Gladwell. I would encourage everybody to read him. Fabulous uh, writer, uh, used to be the science editor for the New York Times, talks about a lot of the psychological underpinnings behind police and traffic stops. I'll quit there. You know, the, the one thing that I would say, <clears throat> kind of in closing on this topic, mm-hmm. when I teach my son, who, who is always the first, the first person to watch our podcast, is that, and I, and I say this as, as a guy who has coffee with multiple McKinney police officers every week, mm-hmm. um, always, always say yes, sir, and no, sir. Always be polite. You, your position will never, um, it, it will never regress or disintegrate because you are being polite. You are you are a million percent correct, and and defending your rights and defending your liberties again is not mutually exclusive with being with being a jerk, and yep. and not only that, but another thing that that that. That, that I think of, because I'm watching a videotape of an arrest, I'm thinking about trial. If you're a nice guy, you're going to look like a nice guy to the jury. And if you're looking evasive, if you're looking like a jerk, if you're disrespectful to police, that's hard to explain away. You can be as sober uh, as a nun. Is that the right? Sober as a nun? Sober as a judge. Sober as a judge. You could be as sober, whatever. You could just be as sober as sober gets, but you're a jerk. That's hard to explain. All right. We're, we're in extra innings. We're almost done. Um, so we're tied. <laughs> oh, okay. You're we're not very, the Rangers because the Rangers. Yeah. yeah. You're a very well-regarded uh, criminal defense attorney. So what you say really matters. It really matters to my son. It, it matters to um, people that are watching and listening. Um, you've done it for a long time. You've done it for 21 years. Um, based on your experience, what are the top things that people can do, um, to sort of keep out of trouble or if they are finding themselves in trouble, um, to make your job easier? That's kind of a tough question, but just those big things that you have learned over 20 years mm-hmm. that you would advise? That is a hard question. Um, I think I should say this, and I'm going to, you've asked a very hard and amorphous question. I will give you an even more off-balance, off-kilter, non-responsive answer. You would expect nothing less by this hour. <laughs> okay. So, first off, I have probably defended several, I don't know, if I had to put a number on it, 4,000 people, 3,000 people. I can tell you that probably all but three or four of them are decent people, good people in their own way. There may be a lot of underlying thing, and there's only three or four which is to say there's only three or four that I just am like, wow, that that's just not that that's just a horrible person. That's a dangerous person. That's a that's a that's an awful person. 
vast majority of people um, have done something which is misunderstood. I've represented many people who I didn't think were guilty. Uh, many people who I represent, I feel like, um, may have made a simple mistake, an error in judgment. Many people, I think, have made a more serious mistake because of maybe they were hurt themselves or maybe they, uh, maybe on the psychological spectrum of this being normal and this being the fringes, maybe they're just out there for whatever reason because they're going through a divorce or because they're having a hard time. Uh, mental illness definitely plays a big role in that. And I always believe that hurt people hurt people. And this is not to say that that some people don't belong in jail. They certainly do. Um, and that's not to say that some people don't deserve to suffer the consequences of their actions. They certainly do. And that's not to say that, um, that, that society doesn't need to be protected from certain folks, because certainly they do. Um, we see it all. We see it in, in all different ranges. Um, people are going to make mistakes. People are going to do things that are on the fringe. People are going to do things that get themselves in trouble. For my money, I, I look for two, one common denominator in every case, every case, is it never hurts from the minute that you're in my office forward to straighten things out in your life. Even if you're innocent, it doesn't hurt. If they think that you're a drunk driver um, and you come to me and you say, but I wasn't, great. They think you are, and it just doesn't hurt anything for us to be sober for the next year and a half or year after COVID, you know, it, it, it's taking a while to resolve these things. It just doesn't hurt to put one foot in front of the other and to, and, and to leave a good impression. Yes, you have the right to drink. Yes, you have the right to do all these things. No, it's not fair that while we're waiting for this case to proceed, that some of these rights and privileges are taken away from you. I'm sorry about that. The law, look, the, 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 the legislature in Austin, nobody got elected down there by saying, I'm going to be easy on crime. And I tell this to clients. I tell it to juries. If you ever hear a politician saying, I'm going to be easy on crime, let me know. Tell me. I'll move to wherever I have to and be the assistant dog catcher in Midland. Whatever. You haven't been before Judge Softy. Judge Softy. That was Judge Rod Chapman. He was, uh, yeah, Judge That was That's what that is, is that's really good political marketing. Because, <laughs> yes, it was. Because you, you, we still, we're talking about it 20 years later. Uh, but yeah, so, so the point is, is that... Um, it just never hurts to um, that it, it, it never hurts to fix that part of the equation. It, in fact, it gives me the ability to really be aggressive on the facts. It really gives me the ability to to go and dig in the case and to find defenses. Um, and, and to answer your question, I, I would I, I would fight it for these people as hard as I possibly could if I was their lawyer on the case, even if they you know for whatever if if if. If, if the judge in wherever county, Missouri, said, Jeremy, you're the only one who can handle this, I want you to do it, fine, let's do it. And I would, I, I would and it doesn't matter what I believe about it personally, um, I, I, I would defend it. I, I, I am not a, uh, I'm not a, I, I don't own a weapon. I don't own a gun. I defend the Second Amendment for my clients. It's their rights. It's their privileges. Um, anyway, what was the question? I know a guy or two. Yeah. But, but again, I mean, you know, it's your right to have that. And, and it's not the government's job to take that away from you. And if you want to go and, and do whatever, then, man, let's, let, let's get you doing that. I feel like you've had a good time. 
I talk a lot and I and I have fun when I talk a lot, so yes. But we might have to make this a two-part episode. Did I answer the question? What was no, the, no, absolutely. Are, are you, not you're, you're not interested anymore. I would call you on the carpet and make you do it again, but we are totally out of time. It sounds like you're offering to come back for part two. Your the, the the headsets are not working again. <laughs> the headsets are not working again. Man, one I'd more love time. To if you'll have me. Yes. One more time. Name of the firm, website, phone number, location. Right. I am Jeremy Rosenthal uh, of Rosenthal Calibestarian. We are uh, our web. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.texasdefensefirm.com. Our phone number is 972-369-0577. And yeah, we, we help folks. That's what we do. And as always, I want to ask, is there anything else that you want to get off of your chest? I thought you said that we were in extra innings. I want to make sure that I, I just want to make sure that I answered that last question. But I think we're looking for practical advice for folks who to keep folks out of trouble or if they're in trouble. Don't make it worse. Don't make it worse. Yeah. Don't, practical advice. Don't don't make it worse. And and you know, I this is easier said than done. Listen to your lawyer, uh, what, what what they tell you to do. Right? I, I don't I mean I don't I don't listen to my daughter on how to swing a golf club. You know, she, she's not a pro. I don't, I don't listen. I don't let the inmates, you know, uh, it's funny uh, and I'll end with this and then I'll be done. Cause I, I, I know I've overstepped all of this. It's funny. Um, when I got out of the DA's office and I was doing a lot of court appointed cases, you would get told by inmates, well, such and so inmate in here says this. Are they board certified too? <laughs> okay. Why don't we do it my way? Yeah, we've, we've got some PI clients who are board certified and they're just, they know everything. But um, hey, well, it's been fun, man. Thank you for having me on. This it's has been, been a blast. I think it, it, I think it was been. a little bit tougher than than what you put me through, but I hope it was enjoyable nonetheless. It, this was this was surprisingly difficult if that was, no, this, was, this has been a blast. It really has with my apple juice. This has been a blast, Jason. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. And um, hope you guys enjoyed another episode of Burris Law Life and Friends. And we'll see you soon. Take care.